0: Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm excited that you're tuning in this morning. We're going to be talking about prophecy in the Bible this morning. I think this might be one of the most exciting God Solution shows you've ever heard so far. As you listen to all these fulfilled prophecies in Scripture, you will be encouraged and filled with awe and faith concerning what we have in the Bible. And the atheist, the skeptic, the metaphysical naturalist remains without answers concerning the validity of prophecy in Scripture. So it's going to be an exciting show, and I'm really excited that you're listening this morning. So prophecy considered, we've discussed this briefly in the past, but many different worldviews try to make prophetic claims. These are usually ambiguous and unfalsifiable, and the falsifiable ones are usually falsified. In fact, I don't know of any other world religion or worldview or individual that's made accurate, testable, prophetic claims throughout many different aspects of history, but we have that in the Bible. The other aspect of prophecy and how it relates to various worldviews that must be considered is the skeptical aspect. So biblical prophecies have been criticized by the atheist and the secularist and the metaphysical naturalist throughout history, dating back to about the third century, and presupposing metaphysical naturalism is not a valid reaction to accurate prophecies. So what usually happens is the skeptic looks at a fulfilled prophecy, for example, the prophecy of Alexander the Great, which we'll discuss in detail today, and they say, oh, well, Daniel must have been written after Alexander the Great because there's no way it could be that accurate and prophetic because prophecy just doesn't happen. So when the skeptic talks like that, They are betraying their bias. They're saying from the start, no such prophecy is possible. Then they are evaluating the evidence by their presupposition. So that is the only possible stance for the skeptic when evaluating these prophecies. And it's a wrong stance to take. I believe that the accuracy of the prophecies in scripture will astound even the most hardened skeptic. And it points to the existence of an all-knowing God and to his sovereignty over history. Furthermore, it shows us that the Bible is his word. So you'll be excited by what we share today. I want to talk a little bit about Isaiah's prophecy about Cyrus to start things off. This is one of my favorite prophecies in scripture, specifically because it mentions Cyrus before he was born, and it mentions him by name, and it mentions what he'll do. This is, again, in Isaiah 45. So, once again, the critic must assume that Isaiah 45 is post-written history. And there is solid evidence that this chapter truly predates Cyrus. And the scholars for many years, the critical scholars, have tried to say, well, the book of Isaiah was written in various portions. And this portion, coincidentally, happened to be written long after Cyrus. Because it is so prophetic of Cyrus, they try to get out of it that way. Unfortunately for the critic, recent scholarship is reverting back to the unity of the book. You could read more about that in The World and the Word by Merrill, Rooker, and Grisanti in the portion on Isaiah. Isaiah was written sometime before 700 BC and around 150 years before Cyrus was even born. It prophesies that Cyrus will subdue nations and kings, and that even though Cyrus does not acknowledge the God of the Bible, God will bless him and use him to set God's exiled people free and rebuild Jerusalem. Cyrus was the Persian emperor who conquered the Median Empire according to prophecy, and he freed the Jews from exile and initiated the rebuilding of Jerusalem. You can read about that in Ezra 1 verses 1 through 8. And archaeologically, the Kurush prism even records this. So we have this documented in history. Isaiah's prophecy not only prophesied that all of this would occur, it prophesied all of that, but it did so 150 years before Cyrus was even born. And it even described him by name. That is unbelievable and something the skeptic cannot just shrug off a few weeks ago i talked about daniel's prophecy about alexander the great and i'm going to review that again in this show because this whole show is devoted to the issue of prophecy this is another one that is just unbelievable the prophecy of alexander the great in daniel chapter 8 predates alexander by 250 years Again, the critics will try to assert that this is post-written history. That's, again, their only option. They have no other response than to say this was written after the fact because it is so precise concerning Alexander the Great. The linguistic and historical evidence in the text all corroborate its early date and it predating Alexander the Great. Josephus, similarly, the first century Jewish historian, mentions that Alexander the Great was shown a copy of the scroll of Daniel. He writes in Antiquities of the Jews, and when the book of Daniel was showed him, wherein Daniel declared that one of the Greeks should destroy the empire of the Persians, he supposed that himself was the person intended. So we read in history that Alexander the Great read the prophecy of himself and Daniel and knew that it mentioned himself. So that's pretty strong evidence that the book of Daniel predates Alexander the Great. And again, there was no accusation that it didn't until 300 years later. So there would have been no reason for Josephus to write this from a biased perspective. We understand that he was reporting accurately that Alexander the Great saw this prophecy of himself in the book of Daniel, proving that the book of Daniel predates Alexander the Great. We'll get to the prophecy in a minute, but history corroborates that the book of Daniel predates Alexander. Finally, the book of Daniel exists in the Dead Sea Scrolls, confirming its antiquity. So the skeptic really doesn't have a leg to stand on here and must admit that this book predates Alexander the Great. So what does Daniel say about Alexander the Great? First, Daniel prophesies that a ram with two horns will expand its empire north, west, and south. That's in chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Daniel then describes that this is the Medo-Persian Empire, which is in verse 20 of that chapter. Isaiah 13 also prophesied this same thing. Daniel continues saying that a male goat from the west of the Persian Empire will overtake the land swiftly, conquering the Medo-Persian Empire. That's in verses 5 through 8. Later in verse 21, he says that goat is Greece prophesying that Greece will overtake the Medo-Persian Empire. It's exactly what happened in history. Next, we read that the male goat has a single horn between its eyes. That's in verse 5. And that this horn was the first king of Greece. That's in verse 21. Alexander's father, Philip II of Macedon, was a Macedonian king. And he conquered and united the Greek city-states in 338 B.C., He was making plans to overtake the Persian Empire, but was assassinated two years later in 336 BC. Alexander the Great then took over as king of Macedon. But having united the kingdom before him, his father prepared for him to be the first king of Greece. And Alexander the Great then took those unified Greek city-states and spread the Greek culture throughout the world, conquering the Persians and many other people groups, becoming effectively the first king and leader of the Greek empire. Well, the prophecy in Daniel tells us that this first king of Greece will conquer the Medo-Persian empire. This horn, the first king of Greece, scripture says in verse 8 of chapter 8 of Daniel, will be broken at the height of its power. Alexander the Great died at a young age at the height of his power. And this prophecy says that he will be Killed not by human agency. In other words, not in battle. That's in verse 25. We know that Alexander the Great died at the age of 32 of some illness, likely a sexually transmitted disease, but it was not of human agency. Exactly how Daniel prophesied it. He was replaced by four others, exactly as Daniel prophesied in verse 8. Of those four, none of them were as strong as him. In fact, the four together were weaker than him. That was also prophesied. In verse 22, Daniel goes on to say that one of those four will grow stronger than the others. This was the Seleucid Empire, which took control in 198 BC. Daniel continues to prophesy that this one stronger horn, the Seleucid Empire, in fact, will overtake Israel and that it will set itself up as the object of worship in the temple, replacing the regular sacrifice, defiling the place of worship and flinging truth to the ground. You could read that in verses 10 through 12 of Daniel chapter 8. We know that Antiochus IV Epiphanes, a Seleucid ruler, put a statue of Zeus in the temple after conquering Israel, according to Daniel's prophecy. He made Greek culture the object of worship in the temple, exactly according to prophecy. He sacrificed a pig on the altar, which fulfilled the prophecy that he would replace the regular sacrifice. He defiled the place of worship and he prohibited Judaism and following God's truth, fulfilling the prophecy that he would fling truth to the ground. So, when we look at the prophecy in Daniel, it is unbelievably accurate. And again, it predates Alexander the Great by 250 years. Daniel continues talking about the Messiah, and we'll get to that next as we talk about prophecies about the Messiah. No critic can say that messianic prophecies are post-written history because the Septuagint and the Dead Sea Scrolls predate Jesus. And so we know that all these prophecies of the Messiah are accurate and actually predate Jesus' life. So the critic can no longer say about messianic prophecies that they are post-written history. Now, I'm going to share just eight messianic prophecies from Scripture. And the reason I'm sharing just eight is that the chances of any one person fulfilling just eight are one in 10 to the 17th power. This has been calculated by Josh McDowell in some of his wonderful works. The world population in all of history is 10 to the 11th power. So we know that any one person fulfilling just eight prophecies would be the only person in the history of the world that could statistically qualify to be the person prophesied in scripture. So I think it's great to look at just these eight and realize that if any one person fulfilled these eight, that one person would be the Messiah prophesied in scripture. And that Messiah is clearly Jesus. So today we're going to discuss eight specific prophecies of the Messiah before we get to even more prophecies in scripture. But before we do that, I'll let you know that you're listening to KDUR. KDUR. 91.9 and 93.9 FM here in Durango and KDR.ORG online. And this is The God Solution, and we're talking about prophecy in the Bible this morning. So getting back to the eight specific prophecies of the Messiah that I want to share this morning, and of course there are many, many more, more than a hundred prophecies of the Messiah, as a matter of fact. But the first of they that I'm going to discuss is that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. This is discussed in 2 Samuel seven twelve through 16. It's also discussed in Jeremiah 23, 5, which says the days are coming declares the Lord when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And then again in Psalm 89, 3 through 4, you said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever. And make your throne firm through all generations. Jesus truly did descend from David. We have that genealogically preserved in the Gospels. We know that he descended from David according to prophecy. The next prophecy that I'm going to discuss about the Messiah is the time of his arrival. We just discussed Daniel and his phenomenal prophecy of Alexander the Great. It's something that is so unbelievable. And this next prophecy is even more striking, if that's possible. Daniel, in the very next chapter after the prophecy of Alexander the Great, continues describing what to expect and when to expect the Messiah to arrive. We've got to remember that in chapters 8 and 9, Daniel foretells 500 years of Israel's future, which is now in the past. And he does so in Absolute perfection, unbelievable. Daniel chapter nine twenty four through twenty seven says seventy sevens are declared for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this: from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty two sevens. it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood and war will continue until the end. And desolations have been declared. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. And in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is declared is poured out on him. Josh McDowell's book, The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict, pages 197 through 201, talks a lot more in detail about this prophecy. Anyway, here's kind of a brief discussion of it. Artaxerxes decrees the rebuilding of Jerusalem in 444 BC. That's preserved in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. That's the beginning of the 77s prophesied by Daniel, the 70 periods of seven years each. That's 490 years. Daniel prophesies that there will be 69 sevens or 483 Hebrew calendar years from the decree in 444 B.C. until the time of the Messiah, 483 Hebrew calendar years of 360 days each equals 476 solar years of 365.25 days each. Those 476 years beginning at 444 B.C. would end at... 33 A.D., meaning that the Messiah was prophesied to be cut off in 33 A.D. Some would claim that the exact date Christ rode in Jerusalem was on April 6th of 32 or 33 A.D., exactly the amount of time prophesied by Daniel from the decree on either March 5th of 444 B.C. or 445 B.C. The bottom line is that Daniel predicted many would say, the very day that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem before being executed. And we know from history that Jesus is the only one that could possibly fulfill this because the next section of sevens culminates with the destruction of the temple in AD 70. There was a break between the first 69 sevens and the last sevens. And after that, no other messianic figure could fulfill this prophecy. So we know that this prophecy dealt specifically with Jesus. Unbelievable, the timing that Daniel gave us to expect the Messiah. Next, we read in scripture that the Messiah will be born of a virgin. That's in Isaiah 7:14. We know that that happened from history. We recently celebrated that during Christmas. We know from Micah 5:1 through 2, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. We know from Isaiah 40, verse 3 and Malachi 3, 1 that the Messiah would be preceded by John the Baptist. We know from Isaiah 35, 5 through 6 that the Messiah would perform miracles. And even historical accounts of Jesus from hostile sources say that he was a sorcerer. In other words, there is corroboration both from hostile and Christian sources that Jesus truly did work miracles as was prophesied about the Messiah. Next we read that the Messiah would die by crucifixion. Psalm 22:16 says, "Dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet." David's prophecy predates Jesus by about 1000 years and predates the invention of crucifixion by 300 years. Unbelievable. We also have a similar prophecy in Zechariah 12.10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. Even God himself saying they will look on me, God, whom they have pierced. That is a side reference to Jesus' deity. But specifically a prophecy of the Messiah dying by crucifixion and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Zechariah's prophecy predates Jesus by about 500 years. Finally, the resurrection was prophesied in Scripture. Both Psalm 1610 and Isaiah 53:10 through 11 prophesy that the Messiah, after dying to atone for our sins, would be risen again. Unbelievable. Those are just eight messianic prophecies, and again, there are many, many more. Here are just a few more. That the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. That Herod's slaughter of the innocents would occur. That Jesus would spend time in Egypt. That... He would be from Galilee, that he would speak in parables, that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, which happened, that none of his bones would be broken, that he would die alongside sinners, that soldiers would cast lots for his clothing, that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb, that he would be resurrected on the third day. Not just that he'd be resurrected, but when. Those are even just a few more of the prophecies of the Messiah and scripture that were fulfilled in history. Jesus even prophesied that he would rise from the dead on the third day, and then he did it too. You could read Isaiah 53. The entire chapter is a messianic prophecy, which is unbelievably accurate. You could not possibly read that chapter and conclude that it talks about anybody other than Jesus. It's unbelievably accurate prophecy that shows us that we can trust everything that scripture says. Okay, going on to yet another prophecy in scripture, or a whole genre of prophecies in scripture, if you will. Israel's rebirth as a nation. And this is exciting because this happened in many of our lifetimes. This happened in 1948, which was prophesied in scripture as well. We'll see that in a minute. There are many references in scripture to Israel's future return to their own land. Amos nine fourteen through 15 comes to mind. It states, I will bring back my exiled people Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. So Amos 9:14 through 15 is an obvious prophecy of Israel's future rebirth as a nation never to be ended again isaiah prophesied that israel would become a nation in one day that's in isaiah 66 verse 8 which says who has ever heard of such a thing who has ever seen such things can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment yet no sooner is zion in labor than she gives birth to her children The U.N. Resolution 181 in November of 1947 guaranteed the right of Israel to form as a nation upon the departure of Britain from Palestine in 1948. Britain left Palestine in 1948 upon the termination of the British mandate on May 14, 1948. Israel declared itself a state upon the termination of the British mandate on May 14, 1948, and the nation of Israel was born that day. Israel literally became a nation again in a day exactly like Isaiah prophesied. They were then attacked by Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, and Iraq the next day on May 15th, which became the Arab-Israeli War. That, again, was part of what's prophesied in Scripture, and a lot of those alliances have been prophesied in Scripture. Ezekiel prophesied the very year of Israel's return and rebirth as a nation. Ezekiel chapter 4 prophesies... 430 years of exile for God's people. The first 70 years of those were the Babylonian exile, which also was prophesied in Jeremiah 25. This prophecy was fulfilled, lasting from 606 BC to 536 BC. That leaves 360 years of exile for Israel, according to Ezekiel's prophecy. Grant Jeffrey, a Christian apologist notes that Israel did not repent or return home at this time. And according to God's word to his people, In Leviticus 26 to 18, their punishment was multiplied seven times. That would result in 2,520 Hebrew calendar years, which is equivalent to 2,483 solar years. If you add 2,483 solar years to 536 BC when the Babylonian captivity ended, we arrive at 1948, the exact year that Israel's rebirth was foretold and the exact year it occurred. You could get more on that written in an easy-to-understand way at thedivineevidence.com slash prophecy.html. Hosea prophesied that God's people would return to Israel via modern transportation. Hosea 11.11, 11, like a flock of birds, they will come from Egypt. Flying like doves, they will return from Assyria. And I will bring them home again, says the Lord. This seems obviously prophetic concerning the most common method of modern transportation, airplanes. Jeremiah and Zephaniah prophesied that the Hebrew language would be resurrected as a language in Israel. It had been extinct for 2,000 years. Yet, Eliezer ben Yehuda began teaching Hebrew to his Jewish family in Palestine in the late 1800s and was the catalyst for the revival of the Hebrew language, which had been extinct for all that time. So we look at this unbelievable amount of prophecy considering the rebirth of Israel in the end times, and all that that would entail. And we realize that this has occurred in many of our lifetimes. Unbelievable. And it's occurred precisely according to prophecy and scripture. Remember, these are just a handful of the more than 1,000 prophecies in the Bible. I would ask you to check out Every Prophecy of the Bible by John F. Walvoord. And this is a book you can get on Amazon. Again, Every Prophecy of the Bible by John F. Walvoord. And you can read a lot more on this topic in that book. You've got to remember that presupposing metaphysical naturalism is not a valid reaction for the critic when considering these prophecies. This is really the critics only response. And this is intellectual dishonesty and following a bias rather than the evidence. Evaluating a prophecy by first assuming prophecy can't happen is an invalid approach. More than 25% of the Bible is prophetic, and it has over 1,000 prophecies, many of which have already been fulfilled, and more which are being fulfilled in modern times. All of this shows that the Bible is trustworthy, and that it is the inspired and inerrant word of God. All of this gives you everything you need to confidently put your trust in Christ, That's why as we consider biblical prophecy, I want to close out the show talking about what all this means for you. The same Messiah that was prophesied in scripture is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, that came and lived a perfect life for you and me and died on the cross paying for our sins so that we could experience a relationship with him. See, our sins separate us from the God that loves us. But he paid for all of our sins and anyone that puts their trust and faith in him, accepting his payment for their sins will be forgiven and they can experience an eternity with him in heaven and a life of meaning and significance here on this planet. So that's what I want to ask you to do today, to realize that all this prophecy is yet one more fingerprint of God on scripture and you can trust what he says with your life and you can trust the one that conquered death with your eternity you can say Jesus I believe in you please forgive my sins and come into my life please be my savior and Lord make me the kind of person you want me to be the Bible says that if you take that step and put your faith in him he will come into your life he'll start to change you from the inside out that he will give you an abundant life of meaning, significance, and purpose here on this planet and an eternity with him in heaven, not based on your own performance, but based on his. All that being said, you can believe this and know this is true because of the prophecy that's in Scripture and the historical corroboration of its consistency and credibility exciting 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 i think it is one of the most exciting areas of study in the scripture to be able to look at some of these prophecies and realize that they really did and have come true and really are coming true today during our lifetimes i want to invite you to connect this week we'll be meeting tuesday at noble 125 at 6 p.m again that's tuesday at noble 125 at 6 p.m i hope you'll join us for connect i'd also like to invite you to grace church this morning They meet at 1440 Florida Road at 1045 a.m. That's 1440 Florida Road at 1045 a.m. Get all of our previous shows at GodSolutionShow.com and please let us know what you think. We appreciate your comments and questions. Remember, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great Sunday.